Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the Blazers for Goalposts. Today, Joe and I are beyond ecstatic to be joined by Lionesses and Chelsea FC women's defender, Millie Bright. Millie's football career began a bit closer to home in the north, where she played for Doncaster Rovers Bells and Leeds United before making the move to the blue half of London. Millie, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, a little bit tired from training, obviously now we're back up and running. Um, but yeah, just really good to be back in and around the girls and back to some normality, I guess. Lovely. So Millie, despite being a lioness, if taking a look at your Instagram has told me anything, it would seem that you're actually more of a, a dog person. <laughs> well, frankly, he's a beautiful dog and clearly he's a very good boy too, from the looks of things. But yeah. I'd have to ask, did you name him after Frank Lampard? Everyone asked me this question and unfortunately the answer is no. I can't actually, I had three names. I can't actually remember. One was Rex, Rex, Frank, and I had one more. And when I saw him, he was just, yeah. It was a bit ditzy when I first saw him. He was clumsy and yeah, so he just, it just seemed like a Frank. So that, that is why he got his name. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely a outdoor person. Dogs and horses is my go-to. So yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Nice. Well, you did mention that you like horses as well, Millie. And yeah, I was kind of stolen my thunder in a way because I was going to say, I understand <laughs> that you started riding from a very young age and it was very much a passion of yours. But what I'm interested in is at what stage did you start playing football? And when was it that you started to harbour ambitions of playing the game professionally? So I started playing when I was nine, which I understand a lot of players actually started when they were around five or six for a boys team. I actually started when I was nine and I went straight into the, the girls' system, just played for my local team. And then, yeah, just kind of worked my way up from there, went from the local team to the Sheffield United Academy, stayed there up until 16, then got scouted for Doncaster. And then that's, you know, the, the pathway that's led me to Chelsea. And I'd say in terms of kind of knowing when you want football to become your, your dream, I think, you know, in my age group growing up, you kind of never knew because you was waiting for women's football to kind of kick off and, and be professional. So it was something that you dreamed of. It was something that you always wanted, of course, but you never knew if it was possible. So for a long time, it was football and horses. Like, which, which career do I go down? And, you know, you have to think of, is it a risk? Is it going to be sustainable? Is it going to be a career or is it going to be a hobby? And they're the questions growing up that you constantly have to ask yourself. So I'd say probably... When I got to the academy, things got um, a lot more serious. Like It was like logging your nutrition, your, your gym program. And even though you were in twice a week, it was very strict and almost kind of getting towards that professional mentality and really about winning. That was when he was annoyed if you lost. And I think as a, at a younger age, that's you just love playing, like regardless of the, the outcome, you just love being on the pitch. But yeah, I'd probably say when I got to the academy, things started to turn. Um, I was competing in the horses. I was competing in football. And again, it was not up until I came to Chelsea really when that's where I had to make the decision. Am I going to stay semi-pro? Am I going to take this opportunity and be a professional? And even then I still felt it was a risk. The women's game had only just become professional. And again, it's, is it going to keep building? Is it going to keep growing? These are all the questions that we actually have to ask ourselves as professionals when we first you know, sign on that dotted line. But yeah, I'd definitely say when I was at the academy, so from probably the age of 12, 13 is when I really started pushing myself and kind of seeing where I could get in the football world. But I was still going down that career as well in the horses and planning, you know, getting my teaching qualifications and running my own yard. And so you kind of plan two, two worlds really and two options. 
But obviously football always comes first with it being such a short career and the horse I can go back to uh, at any point. I mean, we're obviously very happy that you took the risk, which is great. <laughs> On that note of riding the horses when you were younger, did that experience of horse riding and, you know, being on top of such a, like, you know, powerful creature is quite exhilarating. It's quite dangerous, I'd imagine. And then you've ended up being a defender where you clearly have to get stuck in. Have you been able to kind of transfer that fearlessness into your football? Yeah, definitely. I think it gives you, obviously growing up, my mum and dad made us very much independent. Me and my sisters, we all rode the horses. And, you know, it was, if you want a horse, you've got to get up before school and you've got to do your jobs. And if you want to compete, you've got to do it to the best of your ability. That was always the motto. You're not going to do something that 100% then you, you just don't do it. And, you know, mum and dad have given absolutely everything to make it possible to, you know, my dad driving me to a football match and then quickly taking me to the horse show and getting changed in the car and, you know, all these things that not many parents are capable of doing that. But I definitely think I've taken the mentality of, you know, the hard work and the mentality of just get, get whatever you need to get done and then move forward. I think that's something that mum's really drilled into us. And yeah, kind of not taking no for an answer, really. I was always pestering, oh, I want to do football, I want to do the show. And she'd always be like, which one do you want to do this weekend? And be like, both, like, I can do both. So yeah, I think it's definitely my hard work and determination. And yeah, like you said, that fearless mentality, really. It's, I definitely think that's that lifestyle growing up has, has helped me and kind of, pay, well, it's definitely paid off. But I think more so than anything, it's the hard work and yeah, just remaining humble and being grateful for everything that you get. couple questions about Chelsea so I'll, I'll start with one. One of the main catalysts behind the founding of Chelsea FC women in the early 90s was a considerable demand from within the existing Chelsea fan base to also have a women's team associated with the club and so they established in 92 and then in 2004 the Chelsea ladies as they were formerly known voted to be taken over and funded by Chelsea's football in the community department. So given the history of Chelsea FC women's relationship with the local community and the supporters. What type of relationship do you and your teammates have with the fans? Yeah, I'd say a very close one. I think, obviously, since I've been there, I think I had that relationship even at Doncaster as well. So I think in the women's game, it's different. I think you have a closer connection because we don't have as many fans than the men's game is. You get that chance to be able to you know, build a, a relationship with your fans and you have more time after games to, to go and take pictures and get to know them and, and do signatures. And yeah, I think we we definitely owe that to our fans. Obviously, every every fan counts in the women's game. You know, we're, we're very grateful for all the, the support and the travelling that they do. And they're the ones that, that grow the women's game. You know, the fans really do play a massive part in growing the women's game and, you know, really pushing it on and and keeping doing that for the next generation. But yeah, I'd say we have a really close relationship with the Chelsea fans and there's always so much support going on and in the little towns. And I think you get recognised as well. I think that's one thing for me is that, oh, you know, we're really proud of you. Like we'll be down at King's Meadow. And yeah, it's just that recognition and just knowing that everyone's behind you. And as soon as I came to the club, I got the same feeling that I had at Doncaster, which was like unity and a real family. And, you know, that everybody cares, like they truly care. It's not just about being a supporter. It's, it's they want to help the game as well. And they want to see the game go in the same direction as what the players do. So, yeah, it's a real close bond, really. And I think it's something that is going to be vital moving forward. Speaking of that, 
with the FA WSL returning in around a month or so, inevitably you would imagine that you're not going to be able to have the same support from the fans in the stadiums with COVID-19 issue. And so what do you and your teammates make of that and how will that potentially affect your guys' performance? It's going to be a massive challenge. I think you always look to the fans when it's like the 80th minute and you might be a goal down and, you know, or you might be tired and you really need, you know, you're hanging on for that game and you really need that little boost. And I always remember back to some of our big games when we, you know, probably maybe we're on the back foot and then you get that cheer and that roar from the crowd and it boosts you on and you forget how tired your legs are, you forget the situation and you get through. So I think it's those moments that we will, you know, have to find a new way, have to find a new way of, you know, getting that little bit of boost. And I think always just keep a conscious mindset, really, that what we're doing is for the fans. So unfortunately, nobody knows when fans are going to return. That's just the situation that we're in. However, they're going to be watching from home. They're still going to be supporting. They're still going to be giving their time out to, to put the match on and send messages of good luck. So I think it's just keeping that in the back of your mind. That's certainly going to be my motivation is next year or this, this year even. We want to be winners again. We want to be champions. We want to give the fans something to return to and keep on this uphill push that we're on at the minute. Yeah, as you say, you're on an uphill push and sort of throughout your career at Chelsea, you have won quite a number of trophies actually in both the league and the FA Cup. I was just interested, is there a trophy you've won during your time at Chelsea which was particularly satisfying? And if so, why? I'd definitely say my first FA Cup at Wembley in my first year when we won the double. The FA Cup is the biggest trophy in football that you can win. I think it's the one that really means the most and that's taking no credit away from the other trophies at all. It's just it's that special trophy you know, that everyone wants to lift and lifting it at Wembley, what a better stadium. I'll, I'll wait for anyone to name one, but they're in uh, Wembley is the place to lift you know, that trophy. And it's what you play for. The FA Cup is, is what everyone wants to get a hold of. So, and to be able to do that in my first year of being a pro, yeah, it was just nice. It was rewarding to do it with, you know, all my new teammates that in that particular season. It was kind of like a bit of a weight off my shoulders as well, I felt. I felt like I'd, you know, made a sacrifice moving away, taking that risk and, you know, it was all starting to pay off. And then, yeah, that just got me even more excited for, for what's to come at this club. So, Millie, the current Chelsea squad is quite an international one. And I noticed that you have players from four different continents representing the Blues. What's commonly the biggest adaptation that foreign players have to make to the women's game in England? And what, if any, footballing traits have you been able to learn from those same teammates? I think the first one is when you, when you speak to the players, because it's always interesting to hear is why do you come to the WSL? Like, why did you want to come to this country and, and play in this league? And I do believe that this is the best league to play in. I believe it's the toughest league to play in. Um, you don't just get one or two tough games front to back season. It's You don't take any game for granted. And I think we saw that last year. There was a, a couple score lines that probably people didn't predict. So yeah, one of the main answers that comes along is the physicality of this league and you know how intense it is. Obviously speaking with our new signing, Melly, um, I was asking her why she came from Bayern and it, it is the physicality, which is clear to everyone that that is the case. It's not just about, you know, whether it's tough tackles, it's, you know, the the mentality of the league. It's just everything's about winning. It's it's so intense, like there's no like I said, there's no easy game. And that makes you proud, like that's that's that is what us English players are about. You know, we were like tough, we're strong, we wanna win, 
you know, if you need a, a gritty game and you just need to get those three points, that, that's what we're capable of. And I think something that uh, the internationals bring over is probably more the technical side, which is what I noticed when I first came to Chelsea, you know, playing with the likes of G. So Young, absolute unbelievable player, unbelievable technician and, you know, learning from them players, you know, physicality, no problem, work rate, no problem, mentality, no problem. But for me, my technical side, I really needed to develop on. So having those players around us now and looking at our squad now, it's like, if there's a time to push on, it is now and using this squad to, to work off each other. And yeah, I think the internationals want to be more physical. They want to be challenged more from, from 0 to 90, but we also want to develop technically. So yeah, learning that part of their game from them and probably being more of a possession team, I feel. Uh, we can really push that now at Chelsea. And I think all over in the WSL, to be fair, with the signings that teams are making, um, I definitely think we will see an improvement in the possession in games and the, and the quality moving forward. I mean, last year was, was really tough and I think each year it's so nice to see the, the games getting harder and harder, um, not just physically, but like I said, you're having to think more with your football brain and improve technically. So yeah, that's that would be the two biggest things that I've taken from the conversations that I've had. With your, not newfound, but your, I suppose, improvement in the technical side of your game, are you a centre-back who looks forward to playing out from the back or would you still rather your goalkeeper just, just hoop it, just get it out of there? Oh, no, definitely to play. I think, obviously, as a kid, I was a striker. So my I've literally taken like a complete turn in positions and I kind of went from front to back. Um, so I think I'm happy that I did that because... I got my work rate playing up front and, you know, running round and scoring goals. And then I dropped into midfield, which challenged me a lot on awareness and, you know, your, your positional awareness as well. Oh, that's Frank in the background. <laughs> Hi, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, just obviously you've got to move the ball a lot quicker. You've got to protect your shoulders. And then coming to the back, you've got all the game in front of you. So you're reading it from a different perspective. And then also being able to lead the team from behind. But yeah, I definitely want to play out from the back. You know, I think I've developed a lot in that area, but still I want to get even better at that. I want to be even more flexible. I think that's something that I love at Chelsea is I have that flexibility to go forward if I want to. And sometimes I do advance quite high up the pitch. But then that Chelsea allows me to do that. And that's one thing that Emma does is she brings out the strength in every player. Yeah, I was going to say, Joe probably can speak of uh, a player called Gary Doherty, who used to play for Spurs, who famously was a centre-back and a centre-forward. And I, I, I noticed, really, like you mentioned it, but I didn't realise that you'd started your careers um, in your youth as a forward. But um, yeah, it seems like you're, you're pretty handy up top as well. Um, is there a, a goal or an, an important goal or a memorable goal that you've scored for Chelsea or for another team where maybe you started the game at centre-back and then they needed you up front later on? The Brighton game last year, I think it was our second game of the season. We were 1-0 down and then I went up top. And then Magda, she put the ball forward and then I headed it across and then we scored. So we took a draw from that game. But again, that's another vital point that you need to pick up, especially, you know, when how tight the season is and the games are, you know, every every point matters. And again, that led to us being undefeated. So, yeah, I'd like to play my part in... In every game, whether it's assists or, you know, getting forward and getting goals, I think that's something that I still want to add to my game. I still want more more goals, whether it's open play or set pieces. Um, definitely want to add more to the bag. Great. Well, yeah, I mean, Kaitel just meant property area, but I'd say that your career has probably already been a lot more successful. But, I mean, Gary, he was all right. I'm a Spurs fan. <laughs> Yeah.
over to your England career. So you made your debut for the Lionesses back in 2016 when Mark Sampson was the manager. And clearly Sampson's reign ended in heaps of controversy. So I was just interested in how at the time when everything was going on, how did this affect you personally when playing for the national side? It's a tough situation and I think it's a, it's a tough situation for everyone involved. But yeah, we just it was just a moment where you just have to get the job done that's in front of you. And for us, it was to keep winning, keep, keep performing as a team uh, and then return to club and do the same there. It's a, like I said, it was a very difficult situation to be in. But yeah, like you just have to, to focus on the game in front of you um, throughout some important games and then go back to club and, and go on from there. But yeah, it's a, a difficult position, but I think another maybe hurdle in football that you have to overcome and it was another challenge mentally as to whether you can keep it together and perform under that or you're going to crumble and, and kind of let that affect you. But yeah, we just had to stick to task, which was all just about performing and, and winning. Well, staying on the Lionesses, the Lionesses' brilliant run at the 2019 World Cup in France notoriously came to a you know, disappointing end at the semi-final stage when you were knocked out by the would-be world champions, Team USA. Besides being a truly enthralling game to watch in that semi-final, uh, the occasion was made even more memorable by that iconic Alex Morgan tea-sipping celebration. Beyond that, though, Millie, and you might not appreciate me mentioning this, but <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, you can, even, you can already tell, I can tell, but you were all unfortunately sent off. Yeah. And... Um, would you be able to talk us through some of the emotions that you were feeling in that moment when the second yellow card came out? Yeah, I was disappointed. I think my initial was disappointment. Like I said, I didn't agree that the first one was a yellow. I was just blocking blocking a player. Again, I'm not the sort of player to intentionally elbow someone. So, yeah, I'm just quite a physical, strong player. I just got my arms out, was blocking the run. And unfortunately, it was a yellow. And that was my first incident in the game. So... Um, yeah, I thought I was a little harsh, but that's just my opinion. And the second one, yeah, I was, I was disappointed with the tackle. I probably would have still gone in for it, but maybe I'd have been a little bit more patient in my timing. But again, it's, it's the emotions of the game. I'm a front foot defender. I'm always going to go in for the ball. So yeah, having had the first one, which I didn't think was the first one, I probably would have just had a yellow and still been on. But then I was more disappointed that I couldn't help the team reach... Uh, bronze and I was obviously missing the, the next game so yeah I was disappointed I was angry I was upset I was yeah you almost feel a little bit ashamed in that moment getting a red but yeah I quickly got over that and just understanding that it's football and like I said that's another another hurdle you have to deal with a lot in football mentally and some some struggle some some grow from it some get stronger it was just a matter of kind of allowing yourself to feel all that emotion as well. Like, it's okay to be be like that. Some players beat themselves up, but I just needed a day or two and then, yeah. Okay, so we mentioned that sending off, but how does a moment like that fuel you as a player moving forward? To be honest, I didn't really think about it that much. Um, and I think for me, that's that's probably something where players overthink that sort of situation. I mean, you only have to look at some of the best defenders in the world and they've been in the same situation. So, yeah, I tried not to actually overthink it. it. Again, like I said, if I went back, I probably still would have gone into the challenge. However, my timing just would have been a lot better and maybe a bit more patient and not let the emotions kind of get the better of you. So, yeah, I honestly didn't overthink it. Um, I moved past it and 
I just said to myself, if I was put back in that position, I'd deal with it better in terms of I'd do a better job in the tackle and obviously not not get sent off. That would be the, the ideal situation. But yeah, I don't think it's it's a situation that needs to be dwelled on or made into something bigger than bigger than what it is and kind of not let that define my career. Again, for me, it's just like a striker missing a penalty. It's not something that defines them. It doesn't make them a bad player. It shouldn't be something that they dwell on or, you know, kind of let them get down. So, yeah, I just stayed really positive about it. I was more frustrated that I missed the next game and I couldn't help the team, you know, get that bronze because that, that really frustrated me. But like I said, I didn't have time to dwell or... You know, I have emotion about it. I had it on the night and then I put it aside and then I moved forward and I did everything that I could do to help the team be in the best possible position to get the bronze. Unfortunately, we didn't, but that's just how it goes sometimes. And you just have to dust yourself off and be better next time. I think that's the only thing that I tell myself is be better next time you get that opportunity. A great attitude displayed by Millie there. But um, again, on the topic of the Lionesses, we know now that Phil Neville is going to be leaving his role as England manager in July 2021. And the likes of Bev Priestman, Emma Hayes, who's of course your club manager, and Jill Ellis as well, have been linked with the role, if you believe Betfair that is anyway. Millie, do you have a preference for who takes over from Phil? And also, for whoever does take over from Phil, is it now the uniform that they would also have to wear a waistcoat, much in the Phil Neville and Gareth Southgate mould? <laughs> I mean, each of their own with uh, what attire they want to wear. But yeah, I think as a player, obviously it's been a really tricky time. We've had managers in and out. So I think it's it's never easy when it's like that. Um, you just get settled and, and then, you know, there's a new manager coming in and the, kind of the process starts again. Like you have to impress, you have to do well at club. And I mean, that's always the, um, that's always the aim anyway. You always want to be progressing. I always want to be developing. But yeah, it's... it's Whoever comes in, it's going to be a new way of playing. It's going to be their way of playing and the way they manage a squad and everything changes. I don't really have a preference, if I'm honest. I just want, yeah, someone that's going to push me like Phil did individually and, and push the squad and keep pushing the boundaries in, in women's football and, and take us to the next level. And yeah, we're, we're grateful for everything that Phil's done. And we feel like when Phil was in, we have taken a step to the next level. And I think that's shown in our football. And unfortunately, yeah, he's not going to be with us any longer like you said, in 2021, 20, July. So, yeah, I think it's it's always just about progressing for me. I think I just want to see the squad progress again and kind of keep on that uphill builders with the England, just like we are at club, really. And I think that's that's what matters to a player is that we keep progressing, we keep getting better and ultimately we win. And I do think we were on the right road to that. But, yeah, no no preference in terms of manager. I mean, it'd be amazing to have Emma Hayes as your England manager and your club manager, but I don't know how possible that is. But yeah, that's just because obviously I know Em and I know what she's capable of and I know she gets the best out of every single player she's ever worked with. But yeah, I mean, she would be an amazing manager. You've seen what she's done with the US. She's she's a born winner. So yeah, but like I said, no preference. Just just someone to take us to the next level and, and keep our progression in the way that we have done over the past few years. Well, yeah, we all eagerly await who is announced as the manager. But yeah, who who really cares? As long as you're in the team, that's all that matters. <laughs> We spoke 
earlier a little bit about how international the makeup of the Chelsea squad that you play in is. And the likes of Tony Duggan and Lucy Bronze are two Lionesses currently playing on the continent for Atletico in Spain and Lyon in France, respectively. Before them, Enia Luco played in the States several times before finishing her career in Turin at Juventus. So, Millie, would you ever consider making the move to play football abroad? And is that something that you and your fellow English teammates talk about? I think it depends on the individual and what you actually want to achieve and, you know, what, what you want as an individual. For me, I've never been the type of player to hop around teams. I've always wanted to feel settled. And I think whatever I feel I need, like at Doncaster, I achieved everything I could achieve. I couldn't get any more out of that club. I couldn't get any more out of myself at that club and I needed a new challenge at Chelsea. Until I see that, you know, there's no... I don't see it as going there to better myself because I know I can achieve a hell of a lot more at Chelsea. And yeah, I see myself as a blue. Um, I absolutely love this club to bits. And whilever I'm on this increase of performance, I think not only as a player, but as a person. And I feel settled and, you know, valued at the club, which I do unbelievably, you know, huge amounts. Like I said, it depends what you want as an individual. I know the players went there for, you know, they wanted another challenge. And they've done incredible whilst been on their journeys away. But for me, it's it's what you need as a player. And right now, I don't need anything else. I just need to keep performing at Chelsea and keep winning. But yeah, it depends. It it does depend what you want as a player and what your motivation is, I guess. But mine's just to keep winning and developing. And until I can no longer do that at Chelsea, then I don't need to kind of make that decision. If you don't fancy moving abroad, by all means, join Spurs. And I'm sure. <laughs> Love to have you there. Um, <laughs> Arsenal or Arsenal. Yeah, we're, we're the, yeah, the North London Derby boys here. But um, <laughs> in a previous interview, we pondered whether football should try and adopt a Wimbledon or Olympic star model in which the women's and men's tournaments take place sort of over the same period of time, kind of at the same stadiums too. Is this something that you would be in favour of? Or do you think that in order for women's football to continue moving forward, there needs to remain a separation between the men's and women's game? Oh, good question. I think it's a balance. I don't see that being detrimental to the women's game. I think right now there is a separation in terms of we need to keep building our own stability and, you know, our own progression and our own journey. However, playing at the men's stadiums has a massive impact for us, a positive impact. We allow more more fans to get there. I remember playing at Stamford Bridge back in 2015 against Wolfsburg in the Champions League and having 200 fans there and it being the most awkward game I've ever played in. And then playing, obviously, Spurs there, first game of the season and having 25,000. So seeing the improvements that we've made and, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but that is incredible. Yeah, so I think in terms of that, it's, it's with a separation, but we playing at the men's stadiums has a massive impact us um one it's it's the stadium it's the attraction everything that we put on that day against Spurs you know there was stuff for the kids and the families outside there was so much going off and it it was made a family day out like a fun family day and then hopefully we put on a good enough show but yeah I'd, I'd, I wouldn't see that being detrimental because it could bring a lot more fans it could bring you know more viewing of the women's game you know more eyes on us and people actually realizing you know what the women's game is about and I think that's something that's interesting is not many people know what the women's game is about until they watch it and find that they actually are interested in it and that they would come back and watch us again 
so yeah, that could be an improvement. It could bring more fans. It could bring more awareness. And at the minute, that's all what we're about is keep building our fan base and keep growing the numbers in terms of people buying tickets, coming to the games, viewing the games, talking about women's football. So it could open up opportunities. I mean, no one can obviously say what the impact would be, but I personally could only see it being positive. But yeah, I understand the balance of keeping a separation because we want to be known for the women's game. We don't want to be known for the men's game. I think it's a fine line, but yeah, like I said, I can't see it being a bad thing, especially if it's at the same time and we're getting the men's fans coming over. Um, so maybe we'd gain more. But yeah, I do understand the separation still needs to be there because we need to keep on our path and, and people respect the women's game for, for what it is. I guess we'll see if anything like that ends up in, in the pipeline in the in the future. But Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty amazing, to be fair. It'd be pretty special, definitely. It was literally just a thought I had in like the middle of another podcast that we were recording a while ago. And as I was having that thought, I was like, wait a minute, this makes more sense than I anticipated. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's good to get well, yeah, ratification from the likes of yourself. Yeah, it's like when you do a double header. So we play after the men's or we play before. I think in terms of just like, there's so many other ways that you can keep it separate. But in terms of things like that, I mean, it is just like doing a double header game or us playing at the men's stadium. So, yeah, I can't see it being a, a bad thing. It's kind of got me thinking about it now, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think, if, yeah, what could be better than at the mm. end of the day, you're doubling up on the football. Everyone loves the World Cup. Everyone loves the European Cup. If you can have twice as many, yeah, games, yeah why not? <laughs> but moving on from that, for you personally, Millie, growing up playing football and having a talent for it, when it came to role models or basing your game on a player as a fellow defender, well, I know you said this might change it because you played as a forward when you were younger, but nonetheless, would you find yourself looking up more to the likes of a Faye White for inspiration or was John Terry your guy? Yeah, I think JT definitely. Um, and I think more so growing up, Honestly, growing up, I didn't watch that much football. I was always out and about with the horses, didn't really watch a lot of TV. But yeah, I think obviously seeing what JT's done in the game and it's been an absolute pleasure to, to watch and yeah, know through Chelsea really. Great guy on and off the pitch. And again, another person that's always looking to improve the women's game and be supportive and help anyone really, whether it's football or off the pitch, complete, something completely different. He's an incredible guy. But also in the women's side, it would have been Katie Chapman. Obviously, she was the, the Chelsea captain at some point and someone that really took me under her wing and helped me settle, but also kind of learnt me the ropes. And in terms of the leadership side, she really helped me in that department as well and how she was a successful captain and Chaps' drive on and off the pitch. She was an unbelievable leader without even trying. And whether that's because she had that kind of mum side to her, having kids, it, yeah, it really helped and it was really warming to, to be around. So yeah, Chaps was definitely my role model ever since playing against her when I was at Doncaster. I was in the midfield, so obviously me and Chaps were up against each other. And I just used to love the battle every single time, um, that game. And yeah, she always used to say when I came to Chelsea, I remember you kicking, kicking lumps out of me in them games. But um, no, she's definitely a well-respected athlete and footballer, but also she's a really good friend. And yeah, she definitely taught me a lot, her experience, the way she played the game. She's so humble, but she literally was a born winner. And yeah, I kind of saw myself similar to Chaps as a person and a player. And JT, to be fair, really front foot defender. And just doing the utmost to help your team win. They'd do anything. In the bigger picture of young women up and down the country 
growing up and aspiring to play football, albeit professionally or just for fun. Where do you think the majority of them are drawing their passion and inspiration from? Do you think that it's the men's game, which is obviously a bit more publicised, or, or is it the women's game? And what do you make of that? I think initially it would have been the men's game because obviously depending on their age, like I said, for me growing up, I didn't have a female footballer to look up to up until I was playing. Um, so yeah, I think initially it would have been the men's. However, I think times changed and the women's game become more popular and like I said you get that connection with the fans so then they want to be like you like they know they can be like you because one they're the same gender and two we've shown that it's possible to become professional and also I think it's probably more the relationship that you get with the fans uh, whether we have more contact with them or I'm not actually sure what it is but I do think you know, you get a lot of little girls and like, oh, I just want to be like you and you grow up and even like some I get sending a picture of my hair and they're like, oh, she's wearing the Millie bun today and things like that. So I have more than just football when it comes to our fans. I think it is more than football and maybe us as people. I don't know. I can't speak on behalf of the fans, but yeah, I definitely think it was the men's and I think now it's, it is the women's game and they see all the amazing things we get to do and it's possible and I think that's, that's the main message is it is possible to dream of being a professional women's footballer and becoming one and I think we a lot of us share our stories on how we got there and the struggles that we went through and it, it isn't easy. People sometimes think it's as easy as all oh, your talent are no, it's it's far from that. There's there's a lot more to it than talent. Believe it or not, hard work is the biggest ingredient in becoming a professional and commitment and just your desire to keep going. But yeah, it's nice to see that it's changed and that they do look up to us and they do want to be just like us and that you're giving that kid a chance to, to have a dream. So yeah, it, it definitely means a lot and it that's what we play for. We play to, you know, inspire the next generation and even like you said, whether it's for fun, whether it's to be a pro, whatever it is, just for that kid to, to be happy and enjoy what they're doing and maybe figure out that they're talented. I think a lot of the times young girls don't don't know they can play. Even young boys, they don't know that they're good at something until you try it. And now there's more opportunities for girls to get into football and kickstart their career. You find there's so many more numbers. But before it was like unheard of um, and there wasn't any teams. There maybe weren't chances even at school to play obviously when I was there we went through a period where we had a girls team then we didn't and then it was back to playing with the boys and then it was back to the girls and it was kind of up and down whereas now you're seeing a bit more of a you know stable system in the in the schools and and girls getting that opportunity and actually being able to have a a team of nine ten whatever it may be the numbers are growing and that's the the most important thing is we keep girls interested in and yeah whether you want to look like me because of my hair or you want to play like me as a footballer Whatever it is, as long as you know that's getting your attention and, and making you want to be better and eventually going to be a pro, that would be amazing. So, yeah. Great. Well, recently, Millie, in the US, we've seen Becky Hammond taking head coach duties for the San Antonio Spurs during the NBA restart. And earlier this year as well in the NFL, Katie Sowers became the first female coach to coach at the Super Bowl. And... Given there are a lot of talented female coaches within the women's game, how soon do you think it is before a high-profile men's team hires a female coach in football? Oh, I think it's going to be in the pipeline. I think it all depends on the coach themselves um, and, again, what their aim is, whether it's to go into the men's game or whether it's to keep pushing in the women's game. Again, whether they see that as a challenge 
and personally the, the, the coach I would see would be Emma going in there one because of her mentality and she's not mentioned anything but I just see I know Em's mentality and it's a challenge and you know a lot of people say oh a woman can't go in the men's game that to Emma is okay I'm going to do that personally I think she'd be amazing however I don't want to because she has to leave Chelsea but <laughs> yeah if there's one coach that I see doing it being the first to do it it would be Emma I think it's definitely going to be whether it's three years time five I don't think you can put a time limit on it I think it's just something that feels right in the moment and it has to be right for both the club and the coach but yeah I definitely think in the future that's definitely going to start going that way but it like I said it has to be right for both the coach and the team well, that would be absolutely incredible if Emma Hayes made that transition over. And I mean, are you potentially thinking after your career, is coaching something, I know you've still got plenty of years left, is coaching something you're thinking of? No, unfortunately not. And I've always said this, I think you've got to have the real passion to coach. And unfortunately, I just don't have that passion. I admire every coach there is because everything they have to deal with, the stresses. For me, if I was going to do any coaching, I'd go back into the equine and I'd teach with horses. But ideally, I want to do a physiotherapy degree. But obviously, I can't do that till I retire. I've tried, but you have to be there every day. It's a degree that, you know, requires you to be hands-on. So I've got other things in place. But yeah, unfortunately, I just don't have the passion for it. And, you know, it wouldn't be fair for me to follow that pathway and not give everything to the, to the team that I'd, you know, go on to coach. It, it wouldn't be fair. If I'm going to do something, like my mum and dad would say and my granddad is, if you're not going to do it 100%, don't do it all. And I want to enjoy the next part of my career, whatever that may be. Well, as a physio, maybe you'll end up just rehabbing footballers in the future. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. You never know. Millie, whenever we have the chance to speak to people in and around the game, we like to get their opinion on a prospect or two that the rest of us might not be familiar with quite yet. And so... Is there a young lioness or a potential future lioness that we should be keeping an eye out for? Somebody who will be entertaining England fans for years to come? I definitely think Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly are definitely ones to watch. I think when they've come into the, the previous camps, they've definitely put a stamp on the game. They've showed their abilities and that they're already ready for the next level. I think we've obviously seen Chloe Kelly move to City. I think it's a great move for herself. I think it's a club that's going to develop her into a, a great player. And she's definitely caused us many problems in, in games against Everton so far. So, yeah, going to such a top club that's going to push you as a player yeah, and, and, and take to the next level. But they're definitely those two. I think you've seen their talents already and they're still so young, still so much to learn and to develop on. But, yeah, having been that good already, I definitely think they're going to be ones to watch and play a a vital role in, in future tournaments and games to come for England. Yeah, we'll be keeping our eyes out on them. And off of the back of that 2019 World Cup that you guys had, hopefully we can go at least one round further and we'll see. Yeah. That would obviously be fantastic. But that does bring us to the end of our chat today. Millie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. It was really appreciated and we hope you enjoyed yourself too. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on board. Lovely conversation. Fantastic. We just need you to move to Tottenham now and then I can support you even more. But I'll, for, the, for the time being, the Lionesses will have to do. <laughs> Remember to follow us on social media. It's at BlazersFGPod on Twitter and at Blazers for Goalposts on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>